Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. So today being uh, Max Ordination Sunday, I wanted to preach a passage that, yes, speaks to him as a newly ordained minister, but also to all of us. And I thought of the passage before us this morning because it certainly speaks to uh, the unique temptations we face in ministry, but it's also temptation every single one of us struggles with. And the temptation is our vanity. Max saw my sermon title and said, really, you're preaching on vanity for my ordination? Is that what you think of me? Well, forgive me for projecting here, but if I was Mac, I would struggle with vanity. He's handsome, brilliant, gifted, successful, somehow convinced Jess to marry him. So yeah, we're going to talk about vanity this morning. But of course, it's not just Mac. You see, the one thing that all of us share in common is this thing called pride. In fact, many theologians argue that pride is the very essence of sin. The original temptation that led to original sin was the desire to be God ourselves. This is pride. We want to be our own God. Well, pride and vanity are not the same, but they certainly go together, and here's how. We don't just want to be our own God. We want to be treated as such. The essence of pride is the desire to be God. Vanity is pride's application, the desire to be recognized and treated as God. And it's the vanity of our pride that is before us this morning. I have three observations from the text that I want us to consider. The forms of vanity, the danger of of vanity, and the cure for vanity. So vanities, forms, danger, and cure. Let's start with the different forms our vanity manifests itself with. Jesus speaking particularly to the religious leaders, which is why it's particularly applicable to Mac this morning, but he's also using these religious leaders as a cautionary warning for every single one of us. He says to the disciples, don't be like them. So he's wanting us to see in them something that we find in ourselves. And what we find in them are three forms of vanity on display. Popularity, power, and performance. Let's walk through the text and see Jesus expose each of them. First, popularity, verse 46. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces. 
The scribes were the celebrities of the day. And one of the things they were known for doing is walking around the busy marketplace, which was the center of cultural activity in the day, with their long, fancy, elaborate robes basking in their celebrity religious status. And this is what we typically think of when we think of vanity, right? This, this craving for glory, fame, admiration, and so forth. And again, this longing is the fruit of our pride. It is not enough just to want to be our own God. We want to be admired and worshipped as God is admired and worshipped. And I think we all have to admit this tendency is within us. In many ways, life, especially life formed by the social media age, seems to be nothing less than one big popularity contest, an incessant pursuit, quite literally, to acquire likes. But there's more to vanity than just the need to be popular. Jesus also speaks to it with the language of power. Continue on. And the best seats in the synagogue, in the places, the feasts. The seating in the synagogues reflected a hierarchy of sorts, where the most influential got the best seats. And likewise, social gatherings, feasts, had seats of honor that were always reserved for the powerful of society. And both of these seats were often occupied by the scribes of the day. And then look at the next phrase there at the beginning of 47. Who devour widows' houses. That's them exercising their power for exploitive ends. Religious leaders in that day had tremendous authority and power over, um, over others. And often this led to exploitation. Here, Jesus condemning them for using their power to prey upon the most vulnerable society, the widows. And so power is an often overlooked form of vanity. Again, if we want to be our own God, then the fruit of that is the desire for omnipotence that belongs to God alone. We want to be in control. There are many who couldn't care less about fame. So long as they have power, so long as they feel sovereign over others. And the last form of pride we see here is performance. Continue on. And for pretense, make long prayers. It's the opportunity for the scribes to show off their religious excellence and perform theologically, so to speak, was during these public prayers. They didn't uh, write books back then. They didn't have blogs or conferences or anything that could serve as a platform for them to show off their performance. And so these public prayers became their opportunity to shine. They would essentially preach a sermon in their prayers. And this need to perform, or probably a better way to say that is this need to outperform, is another form of vanity. The fruit of wanting to be our own God is a desire for supremacy. We want to prove that we're better. So much of our vanity is manifested in this constant competition that we find ourselves in, struggling day and day out to to prove ourselves against the competition in a battle for supremacy. So popularity, power, and performance. These are the forms of vanity that Jesus is singling out. And I'm I'm wondering 
if you're willing to admit these things in your life, maybe one of them resonates more than other, but I'm assuming all of them are present in some way. Do you have the humility to see yourself in these scribes? The posturing, the manipulating, the striving, the exhausting game that we all give ourselves over to in the name of popularity, power, and performance. And this is only compounded by a culture that actually views all three of those pursuits as virtuous pursuits. Essentially, what we have done is built a society where if you are not fighting for popularity, power, and performance, there's something deficient in you. Just think about the absurdity of social media that we just take for granted. It's crazy what we're doing online. You would never walk up to someone unprompted and show them a perfectly filtered picture of yourself and say, what do you think? Don't you love this picture of me? Can you give me some likes here? You would never introduce yourself to someone listing your accomplishments, uh, sharing your hot take on the pressing issues of the day, immediately start debating them for supremacy in an argument and so forth. Such behavior has historically been repulsive, but social media has created a space that far from normalizing it, promotes it. Quite literally, we spend our days in a virtual world that runs on popularity, power, and performance. And these virtual liturgies of vanity have consequences. Our society is seeing unprecedented levels of vanity, which mean all of us probably see ourselves in these scribes like never before. But this being Ordination Sunday, I do want to speak to you in particular, Mac. There's a reason why Jesus is calling out the scribes in particular. Do you know what is perhaps the greatest platform for popularity, power, and performance, and the reason why narcissists love this job? Ministry. It's filled with narcissistic pastors. Because it offers this in limitless ways. So, Max, speaking as a broken pastor that you know personally struggles in each of these areas, we must be ever vigilant to the intoxicating allure of ministry vanity. From this day forward, you are being entrusted with a calling that offers limitless opportunities for popularity, power, and performance. And the first step, the most important step, to avoiding the temptation, to avoiding the pitfalls of vanity, is to admit that you are tempted with it. To admit your temptation towards vanity, to regularly own and confess your own vanity. Now, to all of us, let me ask a question that we shouldn't be afraid to ask. Why not give ourselves over to vanity? Our world tells us that popularity, power, and performance should be our ambition in life. We are told that it's the popular, the powerful, and the overperformers who are happy. Is that true? Well, let's consider next the danger of vanity. When it comes to our vanity, the Bible offers both an immediate and future warning. And we need to be aware of both of them. As we will see in a moment, our passage focuses more on the dangerous future 
that vanity will yield. But I do want to point out what the Bible teaches repeatedly, and it's this. Though vanity is incredibly alluring, it is always empty. An entire book of the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, is dedicated to unmasking vanity's vanity. It's a depressing read if you're familiar with it. An existential nightmare as Solomon, a man who possessed all that our vanity promises, declares all of it meaningless. And the wisdom of Ecclesiastes has yet to be discredited. To me, one of the most ironic things about our culture is how we actually use the word vanity. The word literally means empty, hallow, worthless. And yet consider, for example, the title of arguably our culture's most significant uh, pop culture publication, Vanity Fair. Have you ever stopped to think about the irony of that title? The magazine we associate with culture, fashion, beauty, filled with pictures of those that we envy, is literally entitled Empty. (laughs) In fact, Vanity Fair was stolen from John Bunyan. His classic, Pilgrim's Progress, where Bunyan used that title to describe the decadent fair, a place of utter emptiness. But we celebrate that very emptiness. We revel in the nightmare of what Ecclesiastes condemns. But make no mistake, vanity's emptiness cannot be avoided. Are those who have achieved power, popularity, and performance ever fulfilled? They look like it. We envy them because we think they have it. But if you were to get to know them, you would discover what Jim Carrey himself discovered in a rare moment of honesty he said i think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they could see it's not the answer in the end our vanity becomes a never-ending chase for something that cannot be attained or as ecclesiastes says a chasing after the wind so the bible offers a warning to our vanity and it is that our vanity is empty and it will always leave you wanting But there's a greater and far more serious warning here against vanity, which is in our text. Look at the ominous conclusion in verse 47. They will receive the greater condemnation. Again, this is speaking to religious leaders. I'll apply it more specifically to Mac in a moment. But Jesus doesn't say they will receive condemnation. He says they will receive greater condemnation. And the implication there is that there is condemnation reserved for all vanity. And there is. The condemnation is this, God will give us what we have always wanted in our vanity. He will hand us over to the eternal emptiness of our vanity. In the end, God will allow those who want to be their own God to be their own God and discover the fullness of vanity's emptiness, the fullness of the misery that vanity always creates forevermore. And Mac, you and I cannot ignore what Jesus is saying here. I'm not sure how this works, but Jesus is clear. That destiny will be uniquely miserable for those who choose ordination as their path of vanity. 
there is a special measure of condemnation reserved for those who would dare exploit his word and his work for their vain ends. So your ordination, yes, is a day of celebration, but it must as well be a day of fear and trembling. Be very careful with your ordination, lest it becomes a means to your own vanity. Jesus says explicitly that such a person will receive the greater condemnation. And so our vanity is no small thing, friends. It's actually a dangerous pursuit of emptiness. An emptiness that we taste now, but an emptiness we will eventually experience as our final destiny, which confronts us with a very, very serious problem. I don't know about you, but I feel so helpless with my vanity. Vanity is not something that we can just stop doing. It's something far deeper, something that goes down to the very essence of what it means to be a sinner. Is there any way out of our vanity? There is. And I want to conclude with that hope. Let's look at vanity's cure. The cure is right before us in our passage, but it's easy to miss. The answer isn't found in the teaching, but in the teacher himself. The one warning us against our vanity is at the same time the cure to our vanity. And I have in mind more than a way out of the condemnation that Jesus warns of in our passage. Yes, this is gloriously true and we dare not skip over it. As is always the case, the Savior warns of condemnation and then turns around and offers himself to you as the pathway to no condemnation. He will bear the consequences of your vanity if you want him to. All vain sinners who confess their vanity, who hate their vanity, who see no way out except to cast themselves upon Jesus as the only hope of forgiveness for their vanity, need not fear the condemnation in our passage, for truly there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I have something much more in mind that I think we all need here. Here's what I know about those who have looked to Jesus for his forgiveness. You don't just want to be forgiven of your vanity. You want to be free from your vanity, don't you? You don't want to be like the scribes. You see so much of yourself in them, but you don't want to be like them. And yet it's so hard not to be like them. Well, and please listen to me. This is very, very, very important. Freedom from our vanity does not come by suppressing those desires. You were made to be noticed. You were made to be admired. You were made to be loved. You were made to be adored. Dare I say, you were made to be famous. But the folly of our vanity is that we keep searching to satisfy those deepest needs in places that have nothing to offer us. All the affirmation, all the attention, all the fame in this entire world is still not enough food for your hungry soul, which is why you are so hungry. But the problem is what we do is shame our hunger rather than feed it rightly. Don't suppress your need for glory. Indulge it to its rightful end, and its end is Jesus. 
the entire message of the gospel is that Jesus has come to be for us what we are trying to find in our vanity. The gospel is the good news that Jesus notices you. That Jesus wants you. That you are really important to Jesus. If he was willing to lay aside his glory for you, then you must be glorious in his sight. And that is the key to freedom. You are famous in the heavens who needs the fame of the world. This is the entire message of C.S. Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory. Lewis struggled with the promises of Scripture that we will quite literally be glorified one day. Lewis thought glory is something we shouldn't pursue. Is our final reward the reward of vanity? What are we to make of these promises of glory? And and the breakthrough Lewis discovered and explains in the weight of glory is that the glory promised us is the full and final realization that we are glorious in the eyes of God. Lewis paints this picture in the essay where he says you're going to stand before God and he's going to examine you. And here's what you're going to discover. It's not just that you survive his examination because of Jesus. It's that he loves what he sees. He likes me. He's into me. He loves me. And that future promise also leads to our present freedom. You don't need to wear long robes to be noticed. God notices you. You don't need to be greeted in the marketplace. God welcomes you. You don't need the best seat in the synagogue. You are seated in the heavenly realms next to Jesus. You don't need to pray long, eloquent prayers. God hears the faintest cry of your soul and he loves it. Who needs the world when you have God? And Mac, you, as a newly ordained minister of God, need that promise in particular. And I hope it will sustain you for years to come in the ministry. The text says that there is a greater condemnation awaiting those who pervert ministry for their own vain purposes. I have to believe the opposite is true. I have to believe there is greater reward for those who would dare embrace this dangerous calling with a threat of extra condemnation. I believe Jesus is waiting for his ordained servants with a unique smile, a unique embrace, with a unique word, not of condemnation, but commendation. Jesus loves you. Jesus is proud of you. You do not need ministry to prove anything. And the same is true for everyone here, wherever you are. Brothers and sisters, everything you are searching for in your vanity is already ours in Jesus Christ. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one to save. All right, we know that, right? Doctrine of salvation, he saves us. The prophet doesn't end there. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. (laughs) May his love, may his approval, may his delight, may his singing over you with loud singing be more to us than all the love and approval this world has to offer. Let me pray.
Fill us with your delight, not just your forgiveness that you accept us, but with the fullness of the gospel that you love us, that you delight in us, that you like us, that you're proud of us. Fill us with all that we need, that we are searching to find in our vanity. Fill us with the good news of the love and delight of Jesus Christ, we pray. In his name, amen.